What's up, guys? You're listening to the Life in Motion audio experience, featuring interviews around travel, action sports, culture, and more. So finally, really excited that we're kicking off the Life in Motion podcast. Um, I really wanted to find a way to connect with others, uh, to hear their stories, and really help give you guys some inspiration to do what you love. So we'll talk travel, action sports, and culture with guests from all over the world. Uh, in this first episode, we have professional baseball player Rawson Cash. Listen to his stories from growing up in a small town in Georgia, getting signed, and his experience playing for the Venezuela League. It definitely didn't come easy, and there were hardships and hiccups along the way, but it taught him the meaning of gratitude and appreciation. Go ahead and check it out. Well, um, I guess really just kind of to kick things off, um, just want to get a I guess a better understanding of, um, you know, who Ralston Cash is and uh, kind of just get an idea of your story and your background, um, you know, where did you grow up, hobbies, those types of kind of things. Uh, from a small town in North Georgia, uh, okay. a place uh, I've lived in was called Habersham, H-A-B-E-R-S-H-A-M. Um, lived there, I mean, pretty much my whole life. Uh, Hobby-wise, uh, professional photographer, that's something I like to do for fun. Um, big reader. I actually love reading. Uh, really? Reading. Yeah. Um, something that kind of has taken over in the last uh, – I did it heavily for about three years and then stopped and then started doing it about two years ago again. So usually during the season, I'll wake up every morning and – Head to a coffee shop and just sit there and pretty much read and write all morning. Nice. What uh, what are you into? What do you mainly read? Um, I mean, you get a lot. I mean, I'm obviously into a lot of like self help. Um, I'll switch off from books about mindfulness. Uh, switch over to sports psychology, then go back to you know the quantum physics, law of attraction kind of thing. You know what you think you attract. Um, a lot. I mean. Last year, a lot of stuff I read was a lot about mindfulness. Um, the year before, I really started opening up on it, but last year, I had to read more about it because last year was a tough season with everything. Um, didn't go as planned, so I had to stay in the present, not the past, and not worry about the future pretty much every day. So. Yeah. That's uh, – no, I, honestly, I, I kind of read um, maybe not as in, in deep as um, – maybe you have gone, but I, I have had read a fair amount of kind of, I guess, yeah, kind of that self-help kind of awareness and focus um, kind of arena. So that's a, that's awesome that you're into that and kind of use that as a way to, to work with your career as well, it sounds like. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely beneficial. I mean, you can, just with life in general, I mean, definitely, you know, one of the greatest things I've learned is the only thing certain in life is uncertainty. And, you know, definitely in this sport, I mean, you really have no idea what's going to happen. You may, you know, spend all off season putting in the most work ever and, you know, come into the season thinking you did everything right and then, you know, you actually did everything wrong. And, I mean, you know, we're kind of like scientists of our own bodies trying to figure out what works. And sometimes what you did in the previous off season absolutely got you nowhere. So... So what, um, well, which kind of leads into this, so what kind of got you into the whole baseball um, 
kind of as a, I guess more or less, I guess a career path would be the correct term. Um, it kind of got you involved with that and kind of pursue it to, to where you've gotten so far. Um, you know, I grew up in a sports family. Uh, family, you know, sister was very athletic. Uh, my brother was very talented. Um, he was also very athletic, but it was just something that kind of, you know, got me away from everything. Um, when you look at, you know, my life story overall, everything that's happened, you know, baseball was always that thing that when I stepped between the lines, that was where my mind was gone to everything that had happened, you know, when I was younger. And it allowed me to kind of, you know, have something to work on and, you know, keep driving and, you know, obviously stay out of trouble. You yeah. know, I was taking lessons, you know, three, four times a week and, you know, I got old enough to drive, you know, practice was over, and I was in the cage just hitting until 8 or 9 o'clock every night. It was just something that, you know, allowed me to get away from everything. And I wouldn't say it made me antisocial, but it allowed me to be antisocial. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. Um, yeah, like you said, kind of more more or less like a get away from reality and, and everything that's going on. And mm-hmm. um and obviously, you kind of have, uh, you know, that 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 getaway from, you know, maybe going down the wrong path. I kind of had a similar situation with me riding bikes. Um, wrote, or grew up, I graduated with like 100 kids in my high school class, so right. super small town. And um, kind of rather than, than team sports, I got really into riding BMX bikes with friends and whatnot. And that was the same thing. It was kind of like an outlet um wanted to hang out, but kind of, you know, add some creativity and kind of a getaway as well. Um, probably definitely helped help me stay out of some trouble along right. the way. So. Absolutely. Um, so, so that, so you kind of got into it from there and then did it just kind of, I mean, did you know that, you know, in high school or whatever, um, you know, that that's something you actually pursue or did things just kind of happen kind of, uh, you know, as they did uh, kind of unexpectedly? Um, you know, I, I did a lot of uh, did sports, you know, growing up. I mean, you know, I played soccer, but not long, I mean, until I was like 10. Um, and then played basketball. I mean, I started varsity my freshman year in high school. But it was one of those things where I was a six foot one Caucasian with a 30 inch vertical like I wasn't going to go anywhere with that um, yeah so you know when summer ball came up when I was 15 16 years old I had to make a decision and I ended up making one of the top teams in the country it was the East Cobb and our whole summer was packed with about 90 games uh, and I, I didn't have the opportunity to do 90 games travel go to Florida go to Minnesota and do stuff like that and then go to basketball camps and learn new plays and new defenses. So, you know, it was kind of a mutual thing with my coach to my basketball coach. Like, you know, I, I can't commit to the team the way that, you know, you want commitment. And he understood. I mean, he's still, you know, to this day, I mean, he's donated three times to the charity. So, really, I mean, he's we have that mutual respect for each other. But, I mean, I just – I needed to focus. You know, some kids have that ability to – pretty much do all the sports they can. I'm kind of uh, an extremist with whatever I'm working with. Uh, I mean, that's, you know, where the reading came from. That's where the photography came from. All of that was, you know, I got my mind on it and my mind was stuck on it. I mean, 
that was it. I mean, there was no other way around it. And, you know, I'm going to do something with no effort. Or I'm gonna, I'm just not going to do something or I'm going to do something with a hundred percent effort. And, you know, when I was 16, I started throwing harder. And next thing I know, I'm sitting there with about 20, 25 different questionnaires from colleges, you know, telling me about their schools and what I want. And then all of a sudden that turns into being, you know, top, 30 prospects in the country, and then, you know, by the time I graduated, I was, like, top 50 uh, with baseball together, and, you know, it just kind of ran through, and, you know, it was obviously the sacrifices my dad made, um, you know, he traded off the building that he owned to let a guy put cages in there, and, you know, I got lessons, you know, three, four times a week, and, you know, it's just kind of one of those things where, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, this kid's got unbelievable natural talent. You know, they don't recognize that everyone they see on the field that they say has natural talent have put in hours and hours and hours of work. I mean, I was long talking three or four times a week, you know, when I was eight years old. Yeah. You know, that's going to build arm strength. And it was it was pretty cool. Um, I was very fortunate. I mean, <laughs> coming from a family that's not rich and, you know, we can't afford, you know, pulling out. 90 bucks a week or 100 bucks a week for lessons. I mean, I, I was very fortunate for my situation and my career to head where it headed. Yeah, well, well it sounds like, and kind of to go back with what you said, you know, people see uh, talented athletes or, um, you know, r really anything for that matter. Um, and and t to have the talent is one thing, but what obviously, you know, separates, you know, you guys from everybody else is, you know, you actually, like you said, putting those those reps in, that, that hard work um, and, and all that, which is people, you know, think it's an overnight success um, when it's it's not it's a dedication. So that's that's awesome to kind of hear that backstory from that. That's like, I mean, like I said, I was just very, very, very fortunate that, you know, because if it wasn't for my dad, running across this guy who was a college, you know, baseball player in the town I was living and asked him, you know, if he could do lessons and this and that. Like, I tried to take those lessons three or four times a week, you know, from Wade. Uh, his name's Wade Holland. But if I wouldn't have taken those lessons from him, you know, three or four times a week, I wouldn't be the athlete I am. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have gone where I went with baseball. I mean, I'd have done what most kids do, you know, picked up a baseball when baseball season started or go play a catch one day. Like, I wasn't you know, every day was a very intentional workout, you know, go throw, you know, be focused, hey, hit me in the chest at eight years old. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't miserable. It was what I loved because it was a challenge, but it was something that, you know, I was very fortunate for because most kids that don't come from a lot of money are going to struggle to succeed in a very expensive sport. And yeah. Baseball is a sport where you have to have, tri like, you know, training. Basketball, you can work on your shot and go to the park and shoot all day. You know, you just have to have a ball. I mean, baseball, you know, cleats, gloves, training, you know, hey, get your hands here. It's such a complex motion. Not taking anything away from basketball at all. Um, you know, those guys are a whole other level athletes. But, I mean, it, you know, I was very fortunate to be that kid that didn't come for money to play on the teams I played on and to play against the competition I played on and to have, you know, college scholarship offers from Division One schools. I mean, I was very, very fortunate. Yeah, that's uh no, that's great and, and sounds like a huge part of that was kind of um from 
more or less your support system um, with your dad and, and whatnot. Um, so I, I guess kind of leads into, um, you know, I've watched that, that ESPN, I think it was ESPN, uh, video and whatnot and kind of a little bit behind um, the Rawson Cash Foundation. Um, but so is that kind of what all that stemmed from and kind of the idea came from? And uh, I guess just more interested in hearing a little bit more um, in in that foundation and kind of what role that it's played in your life and, you know, kind of where you hope to see it kind of go um, to help others as well. Um, you know, with my, my success and, you know, my career, obviously, you know, with success, there's failures. I mean, that's baseball is life. Um, with all good comes bad. I mean, you know, without, you know, darkness, you wouldn't see the light. I mean, that's just bottom line. And, it was one of those situations where my whole life I've known where I came from. I knew how fortunate I was. I knew, you know, sacrifices were made. Um, I knew I was very fortunate. And, you know, when my dad passed away, it wasn't a financial burden because, you know, I was just drafted. You know, my mom still had her job. You know, we there were no kids in the house under 18 who still had to go to college or you know, needed a car, needed this, you know, didn't need any of those things. You know, we we're all on our own. Like my brother, you know, he had a good job. My sister had a good job with her husband. I'm, and, you know, my, my mom, you know, you know, her job took care of herself. You know, it's not like a lot of these families who lose their provider. You know, if, mm-hmm. you know, if your dad or your mom's the one that provides all the money and one of them stay at home and all of a sudden one of them passes away, the family doesn't have money. And it's really heartbreaking because I was very fortunate. And, you know, you sit there and, you know, I could have easily been like, oh, like, you know, just totally let it go, let it slide, not even think about it. But, like, it did hit me. I was like, you know, some people aren't this fortunate. You know, even with the most hard times in life, there is still, you know, being fortunate, you know. Could have been a lot worse. I mean, my dad could have died, and, you know, I could have been six years old. You know, obviously, my mom died when I was three, but, like, my father could have passed away when I was six, and then my mom had, you know, my grandmother and my mom, who I call mom, would have had to raise, you know, three kids. And, you know, I, nothing would have been the same. I mean, you know, that's my role is I want to, you know, come in there and, you know, just give some kind of light and some kind of motivation and some kind of happiness, you know, just a little wind in the sails, you know, if it's, you know, spending, you know, money on Christmas stuff for joy and happiness or if it's, you know, buying blankets and towels or if it's buying mattresses, it, you know, it's something to have an idea that when the widow wakes up, they say, okay, somebody helped us. That means if they ever hear about anybody else, you know, having misfortune, they're going to help them. But, you know, it's also a thing of, okay, we're not alone. You know, this is a community. There are people, you know. When I and my dad died, you know, you, of course, you know, you want to have some anger. And, you know, you want to look at life and find all the bad. And you're like, oh, he died. And, you know, my mom died. And this is crap. And, you know, but at the end of the day, like, there's still always positives and everything. And, you know, if people don't believe that, then they should watch a man die of cancer and slowly, slowly cripple away and then understand how peaceful it is to see him pass because he's no longer in that suffering pain like that you can find the positive in that stuff then you can find a positive in a lot of stuff and that's kind of the thing we want to add that positive during that negative you know 
even if it's just a little energy spark. You know, if it's a kid, you know, is fortunate, you know, maybe he is very athletic and he's had a good, you know, playing age in his youth. And, you know, say his dad or mom dies, you know, all of a sudden he's depressed. He doesn't want to do anything. And then, you know, maybe our charity or one of the people that's helped out, you know, reaches in and helps them. And now he's inspired again. He doesn't lose track of his dreams. And, you know, those kids can also know that, you know, my life story has been, as some would say, hell. Um, you know, some would say misfortune. You know, I, I would I just call it mine. I mean, it's my life. And, you know, they can look at my life and see everything I've accomplished. You know, through all of the things I've been through, I was able to turn around and help someone else. And because, I mean, 2012 was hard. You know, my dad died. And, you know, at the end of the year, my nephew died. You know, that was my brother's firstborn, and he was named after my dad. You know, he passed away. I mean, it, 2012, you know, ripped everyone apart. And yeah. it was one of those things where I was fortunate because everybody was grown enough to take care of themselves. And like I said, think about, it, like, if all that would have happened and everybody was seven, eight, nine years old and that much happened in one year, that's a tough year. I mean, I had a surgery you know, in 2012, and that, you know, I had to give up rehab for a week to go home and spend time with my family for my nephew's funeral. I mean, that was a year of just no moving forward in my career and my life, but like a big growing year. I mean, it was, if I can make it to 2012, then I can make it. Yeah, and I, um, that's actually the, the, the point, I guess, of everything as far as like, you know, what if, you know, for, I guess, uh, you know, the main spouse that does uh, bring, you know, the money to the table for what uh, provides for the family. I, I didn't think of it that way, and the reason I'm uh, saying that, so looking into this, actually, um, the foundation more, you know, when you said you'd call or we, we'd speak, um, I actually lost my dad back in September um, to cancer. So uh, I've... <laughs> Same situation, kind of watching it. Uh, of course, it's a little bit hard for me because I'm I'm originally from Virginia, but I live in Missouri now. So, um, you know, I was, I was there as much as I could. But you know, just watching that kind of um, the life dwindle. But kind of like what you said, you know, you know, they're they're not suffering anymore, and having that, that community and that positivity. Which, out of all that, um, our family has been fortunate to 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 be able to get through that. But I, that that's one thing that I guess I didn't really think about, you know, what if, um, you know, because what if, um, you know, who's left, I guess, can't provide for themselves or whatnot. I guess that's a whole that's a whole new perspective that I never really thought about through that whole process. So it's yeah, awesome. It's, it's crazy when you think about, like, you know, all the things that, like, you know, things before. Like I said, you know, death is a really, really hard thing to understand. One of the greatest things I've ever heard is, um, it was a quote and it's like, you know, did you cry, you know, before they were, you know, before they came in your life and you're like, well, no. And they're like, well, you know, when they passed away, they're going back to that same place. And, you know, that hits me deep. And it's like that eye opening experience, you know, death is very confusing. I mean, but like in that scenario, you know, I was very thankful that, you know, I didn't have to watch him go through chemo, struggle, uh, go through pain, but like, as a family, you know, my mom had a pretty good job, you know, life insurance, you know, stuff like that. Um, the small thing, um, you know, there was a family back in my town that they thought the husband had life insurance and he passed away with like two or three kids in a car wreck. And 
know, and then they found out that, you know, he didn't have like life insurance. You know, it was his spouse when they got married and they thought that it was when they called, you know, a year and a half before they said, no, it should be fine. The policy still continues. And now, you know, the widow goes from, you know, burying a husband with assistance and some money to, you know, take care of the kids and find a place to live for a little bit to no money. I mean, you're talking about, could you imagine that phone call? I mean, on top of losing someone, now you're financially struggling. You might not have a place to live. You're hoping someone steps up. You're hoping you don't have to beg. I mean, in that situation, it's like, I remember just waking up and, you know, being so uncomfortable with the idea of calling someone and talking to them about, you know, what happened. You know, it was, I was there for so many people because I didn't want anyone to ever have to wonder who was going to show up and be there for them. You know, that mom or that dad that's sitting there after burying someone, I don't want them to look back and be like, nobody was there. Um, because it's so hard to ask. I mean, it's just hard for me to ask for donations. And, you know, I could never imagine having two or three kids and looking down at them and being like, how in the hell am I supposed to take care of these kids? Like, yeah. by myself, like, we have no money. I don't have, you know, a job. I don't have a career. I'm a stay-at-home. Oh, my God, we don't have life insurance. You know, this didn't go through. And, oh, my God, this funeral is going to cost twelve grand. I remember the most selfless thing my father did was, you know, he – Never talked about being cremated, but he knew that if he got cremated, it would save money. And it would give, you know, my mom more money to be comfortable with. And, you know, some people just don't have that fortunate ability to, instead of, you know, saving five grand for funeral costs, like they're not getting anything. No matter what, the cremation and the services and all that's going to cost money that they don't have. Yeah. And... I mean, that idea of, you know, being there during Christmas is, I mean, as adults, we all know that, you know, Santa is the parent, and Santa is the one that, you know, shows up and wraps the presents, and the kids have no idea. Now, all of a sudden, you know, you have a kid sitting there who just lost his dad, just lost his mom. You have a mom or dad sitting there that don't have any money to buy Christmas gifts. And now, on top of this kid learning that, you know, his dad passed away or his mom passed away. Now he's sitting there, you know, trying to figure out why Santa didn't come to his house. And, you know, as silly as it is as we're adults, we're like, oh, well, it's a good lesson for him. But at the end of the day, you know, Santa is a big deal for a kid. They think about it for about two and a half months. Yeah. And, you know, now you take away your dad and then, you know, now you take away Santa and then you find out that, you know, dad was Santa and now you realize it's twice as damaging. I mean, Knowing that there's kids that are going to wake up without Christmas after losing somebody is a painful thought. I mean, I, I know how much I cherish videos that we get, um, pictures that we receive, and you know we don't we don't go around showing publicly the videos and the pictures because we're not here to use people and photos of people and their privacy of being helped because we didn't do it publicly for a reason. You know, most people will never know the families we've helped, and you know that's. Obviously, you know, hurts us sometimes because people are like, we want to see proof. And I'm like, that's not going to happen. But, you know, you can truly believe in this. You truly can. You know, that's what you want to do. If you know me as a person, then you'd love, you'd love to donate. You know how much I love kids. And, I mean, the videos we see, you know, when people are opening gifts and the squills and the happiness and the, you know, just that moment of waking up. The parent doesn't have to worry. The parent doesn't have to explain to their kid again, you know, that something else happened in life and they're not going to get Christmas. Like, you know, you don't 
you take that part out, and on Christmas, you allow them to breathe together, be happy together. And, you know, instead of mourning on the day, you know, that somebody passed away, they get to look around and say, we have each other, and we have these gifts, and we have unity. Um, you know, the year, you know, the Christmas after my dad died was the most special Christmas ever. I mean, my family came together for each other, and they were there for each other, and we all got each other, you know, very simple but powerful gifts. Um, the Christmas before, you know, last one with my dad was powerful, but this one, like, it was that moment we kind of looked at each other and we realized that, you know, we can make it, um, but we definitely have to make it together. Yeah. And, you know, I, you know, I remember I woke up on, you know, a couple Christmases in a row, my mom was crying, you know, and she didn't know I could hear her, but like, you know, that's the pain. I mean... I don't want those tears to be amplified because somebody can't, you know, give their kids a Christmas and feel even more like a failure. Because that's what a lot of people do. They just feel like they failed and they can't do it and they feel like it's an overload. I mean, it's it's a lot of emotions that come with it. Yeah, definitely. And uh, (laughs) you just brought up some more perspectives as far as the Santa Claus thing and everything else, too. It's kind of, um, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of crazy to think about it all in that in that light. Um, as well. So, anyway, that's so. That's how long has that been around for, or have you been doing that for? Has that been since 2012, or a little bit afterwards, or no? So the first year after, so 2013 um, or 2012, that Christmas, you know, I was with the family. Um, 2013, I was kind of sitting there, and it was 12 or 13. I can't remember which one it is. Was it 12 or 13 or 14? Something. One of those. Um, I think 14. No, I'm sorry. No, I think it was 13. I posted on Facebook. You know, I want to. Um, it's in that video. You can actually see the post and the date. So whatever that is. Okay. Um, I wanted to get back, and you know, I wanted to help a family. No charity, no help. All my financials. Um, and somebody knew a family, and I said, okay, cool. Um. You know, we helped him out, and I remember the dad, like, and it was everything I thought would happen. You know, I was like, man, these kids already know they're not getting Christmas. Their dad already had to break it down to them, and the dad literally said, like, I, I told them, like, they're not getting Christmas. So and then he called me back, and he's like, I just told them they're getting Christmas and to make a list, and he, he goes, you wouldn't believe it. Like, they're so excited, and I said, okay. I said, um, you'll have a tree. You know, a tree is a very, a tree is a very powerful thing in all aspects. I mean, it's a huge symbol in me in life, and you know, a Christmas tree, obviously. I mean, trees in my life are a huge thing. You know, the most amazing tree in the world to me is the bamboo tree. It's very bendable. It's very flexible, but not many storms can break it. And, you know, the Christmas tree is something that people wake up to and know that they're all together and something great coming. I mean, you know, now that I, you know, get into, you know, more nature stuff and I like to, you know, hang in hammocks, a tree is, you know, a sign of comfort and peace. You know, it's something that's going to keep you hanging. And I like asked him, and I was like, "Do y'all have a tree?" And he said, "You know, my our family tradition was to always me and my wife go and get a tree." Yeah. And then something that's really hard for us is we can't go get a tree. Like it just doesn't feel the same. And I said, "Well, do you want me to go get you a tree? Like you know, not a real one, but something that you can bring up every year and know that this tree, you know." And he's like, "Well, you know, we never had an artificial tree." And I was like, "I totally understand that." I was like, "We always had fake trees because I had allergies, and my brother had allergies, so like Christmas kind of would have sucked if we were all sneezing and swollen." <laughs> and he was like, "You know what? Honestly, if you could do that, I mean, we'd greatly appreciate it." I remember I went to um, 
Hobby Lobby bought a tree, bought some lights, and brought them to him. And he sent me pictures that night of them, like, decorating the tree. And he goes, man, that was really, really peaceful. And, you know, he said, thank you. And I was just like, you know, it's so crazy how many years I'd woken up and looked at a tree. And, you know, I was like, oh, Christmas. But, like, I didn't realize how much more was to it. Um, As you get older, you kind of get, you know, oh, we got to put up the Christmas tree. Oh, man, this is going to take forever. Let's see the lights. Like, you – Think about it, it's like their situation. Like they don't, you know, they don't have their mom to put up the tree with. You know, if they could go back and hit rewind, they would cherish those moments. I mean, those are, you know, as you know, when you lose someone, you think about all the things that you didn't purposely take advantage of, but things that you wish that you could hit play and watch in your head all the time. Definitely. And um, that was definitely something that really hit me hard and – you know, and then he gave me their list, and we, you know, brought Christmas to him. And, I mean, I think that year I spent, like, $1,500. I mean, myself, like, $2,000. I was just – I wanted to help someone. Um, and he wrote me, and he said, do you mind if they open the gift? You know, one of these gifts is meant for us. And like, it's all Christmas. Uh, you know, I, I'm just thankful that I could provide. Um, and to this day, I think that's – one of the only ones that know, the kids that know that we're the ones providing Christmas. Because they always ask us, like, do you want them to know? I was like, no, like, it's Santa. Santa's not, you know, a specific person. We're all Santa. You know, we're all the ones that wake up and give the kids, you know, a break, a happiness level, something, you know. The Santa's, you know, also the love and the happiness with each other. I mean, you know, and if I could step in and help and be Santa, you know, then it's Santa, it's not me. And it was cool. And then the next year I didn't do anything. I woke up depressed on Christmas. I woke up really depressed. And that that ate me alive. And um, that next year, you know, we made that T-shirt. And, you know, we don't sell those anymore because, I mean, I just shaved my head yesterday, actually. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I don't have the mustache. And, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm just like, man, like, we got to do something cool. And, like, all of a sudden, like, I walk into this T-shirt place and they had, like, these silhouettes. And I was like, hey, I want a silhouette of my face. <laughs> I was like, I just want something to work out in. And they were like, oh, we can do that. And then, you know, I posted it, and everybody loved it. I mean, well, I got messages. Where can I get one, this and that? Like, my Instagram wasn't that popular then. And I was just like, okay, like, yeah, cool, here you go. Like, we'll, we'll get some going. And then I was like, you know, I can make a lot of money on these. And then I was like, I don't, I don't need money, though. I was like, maybe this is how I can start my charity. Man, yeah. I remember, I remember I wanted to start a charity the year before. Um, same principle. I've wanted to have I've had that idea for like three years before I started it. And, you know, nothing against my agent. My agent was like, hey, just so you know, that's kind of a big leaguer thing, like big leaguer type charity. And it was kind of like that, you know, that you, you're young, you don't have big league time, and you're like, oh, okay, my bad. Sorry. I don't want to offend any big leaguers. You know, like, but then, you know, when I started it, how many big leaguers, you know, had offside charities that didn't have charities and thought it was a really cool idea. I mean, I remember Dave Roberts called me up to talk, and, you know, he he loved my charity. And, that you know, that meant a lot to me because it's, it's a very unique charity. Um, we do a lot of things that people don't do. Most people, it's funny that most people that don't like the charity, if they've heard something, they're like, I just don't get the presents. And I'm like, man, it's more than the presents, bro. Like, you know, that's just kind of like the – you know, if you see it as presence, then it's presence. But maybe that's just because you're not present in the moment. Like, if you were there, you would understand it's more than the presence. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's been an adventure. 
Man, well that's no, that's awesome kinda of hearing hearing all that and those stories and getting a getting a, a little better understanding of it and hopefully uh, you know, all that continues to go uh well with you in, in that aspect and um yeah, definitely a really awesome thing you're doing there. Um to kind of switch um the mood a little bit. Um so um I'm sure you travel quite a bit. One probably because of baseball, but do you um do you have time to travel um I guess off season or, or anything like that? Any uh yeah. Um last off season I didn't get to. Um uh it's not something I regret. Uh I was really thankful to like sit at home with my mom a lot. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know why. It was just something that like, it didn't freak me out to travel away. Uh, I did more in my county. Like, I realized the more vast beauty my county has. We have a lot of mountains. So for, like, two or three weeks, I, you know, before it got really, really cold, you know, I was in the hammock every day kind of just reading uh, next to this beautiful, like, small lake we have. Uh, very peaceful. No motorboats can go on it. Um <laughs> So it's kind of like just really like it's almost pure nature. I mean, paddle boats will come by, but you know that's just them. Um, did a lot of stuff like that, you know. I just, you know, it was a very it was a very stressful uh, off season because you know I went to Venezuela, uh, played there. You know that was a huge eye opener, not just like in a baseball aspect, but yeah. What was that like? It was. Um, remember, I texted my buddy. You know he. He was born in Texas, but most of his family's from Mexico. Um, born in Mexico, and he goes back sometimes. And I kind of wrote him, and I was like, "Dude, you would you'd be heartbroken if you saw this." And he's like, I, "I probably can't imagine." And I was like, "Dude, it's this is one of the most beautiful land I've ever seen. I mean, it is. I mean, it's unreal." And I was like, "But just seeing how." sad it is to literally see that some people are struggling that bad and you know it was an eye-opener and you know for once I was a minority you know I, I feel how immigrants um, legal or illegal feel when they walk through any area that they're a minority you know I understand how all minorities feel to be honest with you because um, I was in that country and it's like I, I got stared at it was very confusing it was you know I wasn't the first one that was going to get something, you know, they had to take care. It was just super weird. Um, I remember, like, people just looking at me oddly, and I'm like, wow. So this is what it's like to be a minority. Everybody's just kind of just really skeptical looking at you. I was like, this is really weird. Um, but I texted my buddy, and, you know, he wrote back, and he's like, you've learned now that not all countries live. They mostly just try to survive. And that hit me. I realize how much I, I take advantage of that. Like, you know, we get. I saw somebody get mad the other day because Chipotle was out of hot sauce, and I'm sitting there looking at a full plate of food that she has, and she doesn't have hot sauce, and she's pissed. You know, I'm not judging her because I've been in that same scenario. I remember one time they didn't have apple juice, and I was like, well, damn. Like, how you not have apple juice, bro? And then he's like, oh, we got it. It's just warm. And I was like, oh, well, okay. Like, what was I doing, you know? Yeah. Like, one, apple juice has, like, 40 grams of sugar. Uh, two, I mean, you still have water. You have clean water. 
I drank the – they told me that the water was filtered once in Venezuela, one of the places. They said I had a double filter, and I drank it, and I was sick for the next two days. Um, I had the milk one morning for breakfast. I just didn't think about it, and I got sick for a week. I mean – Just in the milk, too? Yeah, it was – uh it was sad, but the, the deepest talk I had there is I was sitting uh, – the hotel's really nice. Uh, it was the it was the Marriott, one of the only Marriotts in Venezuela, and the only one in Maracay. And sitting there, and this place used to be like the hotel back in the 90s, the 80s. Like This this hotel was Hotel Maracay. Like people would come on Saturdays and Sundays, party it up. There used to be bars to the right. But there was a couple of shootings that took out some people, and they closed down the bars. It was too dangerous. And then our hotel was, you know, home a year and a half ago and they ran all of them out it was like 4,000 homeless people they ran them all out and built Marriott and you know we were living there and that's why I kind of felt I, I knew it was beautiful but I felt like there was a backstory I remember the guy I was talking to told me that he was like yeah this time last year there was you know a lot of homeless people living in here broken windows this is like their safety and I was just like just mind-blowing seeing how the country went from a place that was like a Dubai with, you know, natural resources and unbelievable amounts of money, and everybody was happy and partying to a place where, you know, people are wondering when their next food's coming in, and the security guard walked up, and he knew English, and we're sitting there talking to each other, and, you know, he was in a, some kind of program in the U.S. for, like, 20 years that was kind of like a international combination that worked with, like, CIA and Secret Service, so he obviously had some information. And I just asked him, you know, what happened, and you know, he explained everything that went down, and you know, you just sit there heartbroken. And then I asked him, I was like, how much, how much, you know, not to be personal, but how much do you uh, make as the head security guard? And he said, five dollars a month. <laughs> I said, five dollars a month. And he said, I used to make forty thousand dollars a year. I goes, I make five dollars a month now. I said, okay. And I was like, how much is internet here? And he said, uh, it used to be like thirty cents. Now it's about. Uh, no, he made. Uh, I'm sorry, he made $12, and the Internet was $5 a month. So he made $12 a month. And I, like, finally looked at him, like, how do you eat? And he was like, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I go a day or two without it. He goes, you know, my parents are fed, my wife's fed, everything, you know. That's, one was the most selfless answer I've ever heard. Um, while he's trying to survive, you know, he's giving others life. I mean, that's amazing. And I said, what do you ever eat at the hotel? He said, sometimes, you know, sometimes they don't have food left over. Sometimes we can't eat it. And I said, what would you do if somebody gave you $100? And he said, no, I couldn't do that. Um, I said, well, 100 American dollars would translate into a lot of money. Uh, 100, like, you know, when I was there, uh, it would cost me a dollar seventy-five to have a steak dinner with an appetizer. Like, Really? That's, that's how different the money is now. And I said, no, like, what would you do if somebody gave you $100? And he's like, well, I would, you know, be able to feed my family and myself for, you know, the next six months. And I would be able to also go buy some diapers for the orphanage. I want to go to $100. And he's like, no, I can't. I said, look, we can do this two ways. I can literally force this money in your pocket and run faster than you, and you can never give it back to me. Or you can take it peacefully, and we won't have any issues. And he was just like, he's like, I owe you a lot of gratitude. He goes, I, I, I don't have any words. Um, and the next day I noticed everybody was like taking extra care of me. It was cool. Um, you know, the chef came out and he was like, do you want any like certain kind of way that steak is cooked? And I was like, no, I like the way you cook it. He's like, or do you want like 
a special burger. Like, when I got stomachs, when I got, like, really sick, um, I was down to, like, six or seven days. I mean, I was miserable. Um, Fernando, the guy, the security guard found out, and, you know, he came up to my room. He's like, I heard you're sick. Are you okay? And I was like, ah, I'm really sick. I don't feel good. Uh, everything I eat. He goes, you need chicken and rice. And, you know, this is before I became, you know, a vegan, a plant-based athlete. And I was like, okay, yeah, chicken and rice, let's do it. I was like, but the menu doesn't have it. He goes, no, trust me, the chef will take care of you. And the chef, like, hand-delivered this meal to me. So they gave me chicken and rice for, like, the next three days to help my stomach. And it was incredible to see that this guy who may not eat but every two days, because I gave him, you know, what we see is $100. I gave him $100, and he pretty much got six, seven months of salary. And, or he actually got eight months of salary. And it was just incredible, like, to see how different life is. I was literally just jumping on a plane for about five hours. Yeah. So how long were you actually there for? Uh, four weeks, three and a half weeks. Okay. So yeah, pretty pretty significant time. I mean, like the whole experience back to being on record, you know, that security guard. I mean, he just that was a, obviously it was a tough time. I got sick, and but I still got to meet someone like that who, you know, even though he's struggling for money, you know, he still cares for people. And, yeah, and that's what. Um, kind of struck me like you know when you when you brought up, yeah you know i'll give you a hundred dollars you know what would that do for you um you know you know make sure you took care of his family first but even mentioning you know the diapers and orphanage you know that's um seems to say a lot about that guy's character too which has to be um uh, you know in that moment pretty eye-opening for you yeah. i mean there's just it's heartbreaking man it's, it's a tough thing to see but you know it happens Yeah. Well, I mean, it definitely seems like, you know, your your heart and head are, are in the right place, um, you know, for all that. Um, so that's, yeah, that's that's crazy. I'm glad I went. I mean, like I said, I learned, I learned more than I thought I was going to learn. I mean, like I said, Venezuela is like the most, back to on record, Venezuela is like the most beautiful territory of land I've ever seen in my life. It was breathtaking. I mean, you're talking about big hills and mountains and green and just tropical. It's hot. Oh, it's very hot too. Um, I'm sure. Yeah, that was that was incredible how hot it was. I got sunburned one day by just sitting there, and I didn't know since it was only like I thought it was only like you know 83 degrees that it wouldn't be bad. No, I was way wrong. <laughs> I I got scorched. Um, Man, but yeah, that uh. It was fun. It was good. It was um, a life learner for sure. That's that's nuts. Well, yeah, definitely sounds like a, a wild experience. Um, so I think uh, I don't know. It kind of hit a lot of my questions um, that I had as far as kind of you know your, your past for outdoors kind of hit on that with you know when you were you know visiting with your mom um, on the last off season. Um, and kind of dived into a lot of the other stuff. I guess, um, what, what would be one piece of advice or a thought that, you know, that you could leave with, with people, 
I guess, to kind of, um, you know, encourage them, inspire them, kind of let them, you know, help, I don't know, I guess give them a perspective on life kind of as you have, if that makes sense. Um, that, as I finished one article one time, you know, my favorite quote is, you can't go broke by giving. And that's true. I mean, you'll always be rich in memory. You'll always be rich in gratitude whenever you have the ability to struggle or have a financial situation or anything. I mean, to give back to someone. You know, if you really understand that you can't go broke given. I mean, even if it's your time, if it's your talent, if it's your money, like all those things, I mean, there's always someone that needs help. And, you know, I think us as people need to look more into that because, you know, we we get caught up in, you know, who can help me, you know, what's wrong with my life instead of who can I help? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if I help someone, you know, it's going to help me. Uh, you know, that's, you know, this off season, you know, sitting in that situation knowing that I gave $100 to someone and it changed, you know, their next eight months. I mean, that's that's huge. I mean, that is something that I can look back on and say, you know, that's one of those things I'm grateful for is going down to Venezuela. You know, I, I did get food poisoning. I did get very sick. Um, you know, I ended up being sick for two weeks when I got back. You know, I lost a lot of weight. Uh, meat no longer was good for my body uh it was just a whole terrible situation but i was thankful i went down because i was able to meet someone like that who struggles to you know find survival and i was able to help him as he taught me more things than he'd ever know i mean my hundred dollars wasn't even close to the value of the knowledge and wisdom he gave me just by a few talks by the pool yeah you know also in that situation you know a security guard, the guy who runs the security is the one that gave me some of the greatest advice. And, you know, we might spend some time in life judging people, but we really never know who's going to help us or who we can help. So I guess that, you know, just by the appearance of, you know, things in life, you know, people who will help or can be helped, you'll never know who they are because they're always in disguise. I mean, it was incredible. I mean, I, I read a lot of self-help books. I mean, I read, I listen to a lot of Tony Robbins. I've watched his documentaries. I've watched some of the greatest people talk about, you know, energy and life and spirit and, you know, connection. And one of the guys that hit me the hardest was a janitor in Matakai, Venezuela, standing by a pool, or not a janitor, a security guard in Venezuela by the pool talking about how he can help people. And it's incredible. Yeah, you can't um, you can't put a price on that. Kind of like what you're saying. That hundred dollars means nothing to in, in comparison um, from your perspective. That's yeah. that's crazy. That's, that's awesome. Well, um, I uh, yeah. Well, I don't I don't want to hold you up any longer. Um, and I definitely appreciate you taking um, the time. I know it was a little bit longer than I initially thought, but I'm, I'm definitely um, glad to kind of hear a little bit more about everything and um you know once I'll, I'll sort through all this and 
and once I get get it all up, I'll definitely share it with you. But is there anything that I can do um, to to help you? Um, you know, with, with anything really, um, as far as like awareness for what you're doing or, or anything like that. Um, no, I mean, you know, we have a Facebook page. You know, if people want to message us. Uh, it's crazy because I'm actually. After all of that, I'm kind of like pulling away from my social media. Um, it's funny that I, at one time I was like, oh, I can't wait till I get to, you know, 10,000 followers on Instagram. And, you know, I would post things and, you know, to get attention. And it's funny when the life gets tough and life gets hard, you know, that social media, those people that follow you usually aren't the people that are going to help you. And nothing against them because they don't know how they can help you. That's true. Um, I mean, it's like, it was crazy, you know, this off season taught me a lot about family. I mean, I got to spend a lot of time with my brother, you know, like I said, he lost his firstborn, but now he has a four-year-old uh, and he has triplets. And so I got to spend a lot of time laughing with all the kids. I mean, you know, baby laughs filled through the house. My best friend, um, really inspiring human being. Uh, he... You know, long story short, you know, I got cancer at 20, 21. Uh, actually met his wife through her reaching out saying, you know, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. And they started small talking, and now they're married with a kid. Um, wow. Yeah, he's a police officer, and, you know, he wanted to give back to the community in a sense of, you know, inspiring, but also being that happy cop that you want to pull you over because he's going to – not be the guy that you're fearing to get pulled over by. I mean, he's understanding, and I got to spend a lot of time with him. Um, that was huge, you know, get to see a beautiful marriage there. So, I mean, it was – it's all. I mean, I went for a while without even, like, posting anything on Instagram. I mean, you know, likes are cool and all, but, you know, likes don't really get you anywhere in life. And, you know, it's like after going down to Venezuela, I learned that money really doesn't get you anywhere in life. Because money, guess what? When the government says it's not valuable anymore, it's not valuable anymore. And I still saw, you know, the Venezuelan culture still laughing and smiling with each other and, you know, loving their family and thinking about each other. I mean, it was was awesome um, to see how much social media, money, uh, how you look, you know, the attention you get. Like, they mean nothing. I mean, your actions and who you are as a human and what you've done to people. You know, that's when I went to my dad's visitation and, you know, we had almost a thousand people show up. Um, wow. But not, yeah, it was like 900, 1,000. I mean, it was just two and a half days of just standing for three hours and just shaking hands. And that was the moment I realized, that, you know, at your funeral, you'll see who really cares. You know, you, I heard stories about what he did for people and, you know, none of them had to do with money. None of them had to do with making money. All of them had to do with memories. Um, yeah. It was cool, and that was, you know, something I was thankful for. And kind of going back to that is really awesome. Um, you know, laughing, and, you know, last year, you know, I, it was a tough season. You know, I, I was – I didn't play a lot. Um, things didn't go as planned. You know, I ended up getting released by the Dodgers. Uh we just weren't on the same path and, you know, it's a business and, you know, they had to do what they had to do to keep their organization is what they think is the best. And, you know, if they don't think I'm best for the organization, then that is 
wanted to go with Seattle, and, you know, I was fortunate to sign with the Orioles. Um, but, like, I'm, I'm taking this camp, you know, it's usually, like, off spring training, long days, this, this, and that. Like, I'm taking time to sit there and smile and laugh, you know, walk in and talk to the people in the cafeteria, laugh with them. I mean, they saran wrap my car today um, <laughs> because we've been talking trash to each other for, like, a week now, and I joked with them, and I came out to a completely saran wrap Jeep today. Um, and we laughed and we laughed and they were so excited to see my expression and that's beautiful. You know, that's, that's something that I can laugh about for a very long time. I have pictures, I have the videos of them rapping it. They love it. I mean, they sent me the videos after they wrapped it, but it's like something special, you know, it's something that, you know, I'm trying to sit here and actually, you know, be mindful of where I am, you know, happy where my feet are. Yeah. And, it's been fun. I mean, it's been a joy to be with the Orioles. I mean, it's cool because, you know, you're with an organization for seven and a half years. You don't know anything else. It's pretty much like having a dad and all of a sudden waking up and there's some new dude making you breakfast telling you what's going on and, you know, telling you how you're going to live your life and how you're going to play your game and how you're going to work out. And you're like, yo, dude, who are you? Like, <laughs> I got raised by the Dodgers for seven and a half years, you know. Like, they were there through all the hard times with me. I mean, it's like I was doing, you know, photography for them with, you know, like their psychology program and stuff like that. Now it's like I'm sitting here like, okay, like being reevaluated, you know, learning new things. Like, you know, I used to be the more rebellious, get pissed and want to do things my way. And, you know, now I've realized in life that, you know, everyone does things in their heart, no matter what it is out of their life is good. Um, I mean, everyone, like even, you know, People want to look at people that are, you know, on drugs, and they think, how can you do drugs? And you're like, you don't understand probably how painful their life is, that high is what they see as good and relaxing. Yeah. Like, nobody spitefully goes out and says, I'm going to do this for the bad. There's something that gets them in their wiring, a good feeling, a good emotion, like. And so, like, being in this organization, like, seeing how they do things is, like, really intriguing. I love how they do things. Um, I loved how the Dodgers did things. I loved how Seattle did things. I was very fortunate so far to be with three teams that are really good at what they do. Um, you know, obviously, I miss the Dodgers. You know, I not in a – I wish I was still there. You know, I'm, I'm thankful because I, I came in as a child. I mean, I was 18. I graduated high school, and all of a sudden I was in Arizona at rookie ball. You know, the Dodgers are the ones that developed me into a man, a grown, a grown man. And, you know, I'm very fortunate for those times. Um, so, ooh, it's exciting. Uh, yeah, definitely. That's a, a whole new experience. But it, it's awesome to hear that you kind of that, – that transition has gone well and it's continued to – sound like it's going to continue to go that way. Yeah, I'm definitely excited for the year. That's awesome. When does um, when does everything kind of kick off? Uh, I did early camp for a hot minute. Um, they uh, so I've been here for what like two and a half weeks. I'm actually excited because um, I don't know if it was just because we were the pitchers that aren't throwing tomorrow, but like they pulled some guys aside and they were like, "Hey, we're going to the big league side tomorrow. Uh, we need we're in a couple of days. We need y'all. You know, you don't have to. You're not going to get paid for it. Like, would you like to?" Um, go and work at this clinic. I'm like, shoot, bro, you talking to the right guy. Like, 
I mean, my thing was, like, even in OKC, so, like, you know, I did photography, so it's like, I would go on a lot of these trips to the hospitals. Um, I would never really do, like, the camps, just because in Tulsa it's 107 degrees, and I'm not about that life. Um, yeah. And I'd usually at a coffee shop, usually in the morning, but, like, when it came down to, like, the, you know, cancer hospitals, children's hospitals, stuff like that, like, I would bring my photography equipment, and I would take, like, photos. Um you know, I did it in OKC. I did it in Tulsa. Um, you know, when I came in, they were like, hey, you know, you weren't on the list to go. And I was like, I know. And they are like, well, you didn't have to go. And I was like, I know. And they are like, well, we don't know if you're going to get paid for it. And I was like, I don't need the money for it. And I came in, like, a couple of days later, like, hey, like, they're actually going to give you 100 bucks. And I was like, okay, donate it to the hospital. Donate it to a charity. Donate it to my charity. I was like, I don't need the $100. I didn't go there for the $100. If I went there for the hundred dollars and something's wrong with my character, yeah, really, you know, nothing against the guys to go for a hundred dollars, but you know, I mean, it's just like I just I, I want to be in those scenarios. I mean, in the off season, it's kind of hard because it's like I can't just roll up into any hospital and go talk to kids, you know. Like, hey, who are you? Uh, I play baseball. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, what are you doing? Like, that's not a good look. Yeah, that <laughs> definitely when I had the mustache, that would have been terrible. <laughs> I had a security guy with mustache and then you asked please remove him. Like, <laughs> it, it, you you did have a pretty serious mustache. Yeah, I had it for like three years. It was actually cool. Um, I remember when I started drawing it, my buddy. Uh, it was crazy. I I shaved my mustache. And, like, two days later, I broke my rib. And, like, two weeks later, I found out my best friend had leukemia. And I was like, yo, I ain't shaving this thing until my best friend is healed. And surprisingly, I ended up keeping it much longer. Uh, you know, he ended up, you know, finding out he was cancer-free. And, you know, his cancer was in remission at the time. And now it's been, like, three, two, two, three years since he's had any issues. Um, but it was, like, really funny, like, how it started. And then I kept it. And it was kind of like... You know, people would be like, why do you have a mustache? And I'm like, you know, I, just, I don't think you want that story. Um, you know, I get stuff from fans all I, – I mean, I don't have it anymore, but I used to get stuff from fans all the time, like, you know, just trying to be degrading and saying, like, you know, really twisted stuff. And, you know, I get the humor. I get people do things. It's kind of funny, you know, for them. But, I mean, I would just hear so much chatter from people. I mean – the things that could be yelled at at a game. But, I mean, there was, like, some people that actually said funny stuff that wasn't meant to be harmful. Yeah. I mean, then, you know, of course, when you go to, you know, fraternity night in Little Rock, Arkansas, you're going to get some pretty messed up things said at you. And, which, I mean, you know, that's, that's for them. But, I mean, the best one that a guy ever said, I was pitching in San Antonio. It was the first game I was pitching of the year. Um, I come set. And all of a sudden, this dude, and, like, San Antonio stands, like, you can just see everyone behind home plate. They're kind of low. And this dude stands up. And this is when I have long hair, too. And he's just, like, nice, like, <laughs> he said it, like, with a little Spanish accent, too. Like, well, it was, it was amazing. And he was like, hey, who gave that lady a mustache? <laughs> and I had to, like, step off, chuckle. And, like, refine my focus because, like, that's the only person that's ever made me break focus in a game. And that guy, like, nailed it. And, like, everyone laughed. Like, my position players were laughing. My catcher was laughing. Man, like, it was the greatest moment 
in the middle of being interrupted in sports, in my opinion, because I literally thought it was hilarious. And like, there was no harm, no foul, but it was great. <laughs> yeah, it'd be, it'd be a little challenging to, to regain that focus after that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> well, um, well, yeah, that that sounds good, and I'll definitely, um, you know, do it. Do what I can to help kind of um, promote what you guys you have going on and whatnot. Um, but, but yeah, man, I'm a. All right, I appreciate you calling, man. It was really a pleasure of mine, honestly. Um, I know you'll do some good stuff with that. I hope I gave you enough. I probably talked a lot more than you expected. No, you're you're good. I've been. I said, yeah, we'll just keep in touch, and then, yeah, send me over that, uh, your address, and I'll get some stuff out to you, and, yeah, we'll just go from there, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. All right. Talk to you later. All right. See you, bye. Hey, guys. I really appreciate you listening, and would absolutely love if you left a rating on iTunes, Google Play, Anchor, or wherever you're listening to this. Your feedback is our inspiration to continue these stories and grow.